What's up, punks? Welcome back to the Poker Punks podcast. This is episode 12, Slow Your Roll. In this episode, I am talking about situations I got myself in where I was being overly aggressive in the wrong spots and how to prevent that leak in your game. Uh, One of the things we have to realize is no matter how strong our hand is pre-flop, we have to get all the way to the river unless we get everyone to fold. And by being overly aggressive, we open ourselves up when people have a flopped strong hand or a uh, read on us that we are not as strong as we are making ourselves out to be. So without further ado, let's get into some hands. For this hand, we are in middle position and the main villain in this pot is about $500 effective. We raise to $20 with king of diamonds, jack of diamonds when it gets to us. The button and the big blind end up making the call. We go to a flop three ways with $61 in the pot. And that flop is six of clubs, four of diamonds, three of spades. So we flop completely nothing more than a backdoor flush draw. But when it checks to us, we decide to continue our story that we have a strong hand and we bet out for $55, which is almost a pot size bet here. Now, the thinking being that if these two players have nothing, this bet will get them to fold. But oftentimes what ends up happening is a large bet like this on such a, you know, flop that doesn't really hit a opener's range, it will get met with a lot of resistance, especially from thinking players and players who are kind of maniac-y, spewy type of players who will just blast away right back at you trying to out-testosterone you. And that's exactly what happens here when the uh, button decides to make it $155. The big blind quickly folds and it's back on us and I Hollywood for a minute or two, but there is no chance that I'm calling here because the fact of the matter is the button has all the sets, all the two pair, all the straights in his range and every pair that's not, you know, they're still beating me with even a pair of twos. So I have to put my tail between my legs and fold this one. Now, With me being in middle position, having a late position caller, having a caller from the big blind, it really puts me in a pickle here because even though the big blind checks to me, they're going to check most of their range in flow because I was the pre-flop aggressor. The button also has an incentive if he has any kind of hand, if he had like a 5x hand, if he had a 2x hand even, he is incentivized to try and see if he can get me to fold with some aggression. So by me being in the middle of two players and having no pair to speak of, it's just a really bad bet on my part here. Uh, I could have gotten this information from the button with a much smaller bet of 15 to $20. And if he would have raised, I could have either floated with my two overs and backdoor or just packed it in there and saved myself about $50. But This aggression, this blind aggression, really, is what put me in a pickle in the first place and made me have to give up a hand that had some equity to it, but 
Obviously not much if he had flopped something like a set or a straight. So moral of this story is be aware of not only your bet sizing, but your position. When you're sandwiched between two other players, you really need to tread a lot more cautiously. And big bets like this really should only be made with nutted type hands. So when you're uh, trying to push people off of a pot, bet size is almost irrelevant because if they were going to fold, they're most likely going to fold to $15 or $20, the same as they would to $50 or $60. So if they're not going to fold, putting out that $50 or $60 bet is really just lighting money on fire where you could have got the same information for a much smaller bet. Or if you bet small, they may try to quote unquote trap you when they have a stronger hand. And then you can reevaluate on the turn whether or not you want to continue with the hand or if you're just done with it. So always remember, keep your position amongst any of the callers in mind. When you're not last to act, you are at a severe disadvantage and you have to tread cautiously. For this hand, we are in the big blind and the main villain in this hand is only $176 effective. Under the gun straddles to $6, middle position and small blind, both called straddle. And when we look down at the ace of clubs, queen of hearts, we are not going to just complete. We do the math in our head real quick and decide to size up to $33 because we are right now. It's a four way pot. We want to try and get this down to heads up. We will have one player behind us in that straddle. We want to get them out. We're incentivized to get them out and the small blind and middle position player with their just limping to the straddle are really capping their hand and saying they don't have a hand good enough to raise with. To my surprise, only the under the gun straddler folds and the middle position and small blind both call. We go to a a flop with a pot of $105 and that flop is jack of diamonds, eight of spades, four of diamonds. The small blind checks to us and we continue for $45 here. Middle position folds and the small blind then just flat calls. We have $195 in the pot and we see the three of clubs on the turn. Small blind checks again and with his just check call on the flop, my initial thinking is that he might be on some sort of diamond draw. We unblock diamonds, so we want to try and get it in good here with our uh, two overs. And hopefully a good bet here could either take down the pot right away, or if we get a brick of no diamond on the river, we might be able to get him to fold a weaker hand then. We decide to make it $65 here, and the villain only has about $100 behind at this point. And it was something that we didn't notice before we made this bet. And the villain tanks for just a minute and then ends up making the call for the $65. There's a pot now of $325 and we see the seven of spades on the river. So the board now is jack of diamonds, eight of spades, four of diamonds, three of clubs, seven of spades. So this is a really clean board for you know, any kind of paired hand. Unfortunately, we don't have a paired hand. 
we are looking at this and thinking since the villain hesitated on the turn, we're really targeting some sort of flush draw, possibly a hand even like queen 10. Uh, there's a lot of hands that he could be just check calling with that he's too afraid to put money in the pot himself that we can get to fold here. And with this brick on the river, we decide to rip it in for $33. I know it's hard to say rip it in for $33 because it's not that much considering the pot is already $325. And unfortunately for us, uh, we were kind of right in the fact that the villain didn't have much. And he does make the call and turns over the eight of hearts and the two of hearts. So what's the moral here? The moral is that some villains are just so sticky, they are going to call down with whatever they end up uh, making. Any kind of pair, uh, a lot of kind times they'll call with a draw. And this is a situation where we could get all the draws to fold, but we're not likely to get any pair to fold. Even if he just had a pair of threes, the very likelihood that he's getting 10 to 1 on his money means that he's most likely going to call. If he called the flop bet and the turn bet, he's calling any river bet here with any pair. The only hands that we're going to get to fold uh, were most likely beating because if he had a flush draw, the only flush draw that we were behind is uh, ace-king of diamonds. So any other flush draw that he could have, we're beating with our ace-queen. Uh, unless he hit like a random, you know, eight of diamonds hand, three of diamonds hand, seven of diamonds hand. Those are unlikely. Um, you know, he really shouldn't be playing, you know, ace eight suited from the small blind to uh, a pretty large three bet. Even I guess you'd call it three bet since there was a straddle. But uh, as you can see, he is playing very wide, even from the blind, because he called the $33 with just eight deuce suited hit second pair and held on for dear life. And it was a unfortunate for us that we couldn't get him to fold that sort of a weak hand. Um, but knowing this is something that is good for your arsenal because you can take that into any future hands with this opponent and know that when you do make a hand like top pair, you put out that first feeler bet on the flop. And if they call, then you can size up for value going forward and you're most likely going to get called, especially when they've seen that you have the potential to bluff. These are the situations where, yeah, I, I could have, you know, saved myself $33 on the river and just checked back. I, I really felt like I had no showdown value. I was hoping I could get him off of a low pair. Um, any, like I said, any flush draw for the most part, unless he hit a pair with it, I was beating. So, it's one of those situations where with him having such a small amount behind, uh, I'm actually kind of surprised he didn't just rip it all in on the turn. That probably would have gotten me to maybe make a really nitty fold because, you know, I have to say I'm behind and I'm not likely to be good with just ace queen. I might've saved the $33, but getting 10 to one, I probably would have made the call anyway hoping to hit one of my six outs. Unfortunately for this, we did not improve. We did not get him to fold. And we were the unfortunate donator of $166 to this villain.
this hand, we are the effective stack at $550. We are under the gun, and we look down at Ace of Hearts, King of Clubs. We have uh, a button straddle in this hand. We are playing this hand. It's a 1-3 game down at the Horseshoe in Baltimore, which is a great room if you're ever in the Baltimore area. The poker room manager was really great to talk to, uh, really open to not just the poker community, but the vlogging community and really trying to do some great things with that room. Uh, I ended up being down there last year for a Arsenal friendly against Everton. I'm a big Arsenal supporter. So I went down early before the match, played a good session at the Baltimore Horseshoe and then walked over to the match. And then afterwards walked back, played a session for a couple more hours to let traffic go before I headed home. Anyway, with all that being said, we were under the gun in this hand, the button straddled to six, small blind limped, big blind folds, and when it gets to us, this table, when I first sat down, it was listed as a 1-3 and a $600 cap. What I didn't know when I first sat down and I didn't want to um, kind of let on that I didn't know as the game went on is it was a match the stack game. It's what they call their um, super or ultimate 1-3. So... I had noticed that there was a lot of deep stacks at the table when I sat down with my $600 and the game was playing definitely much bigger. So in this situation with the straddle and the limp, I decided to make it $35 to go. And we got calls from under the gun one button and small blind. There's $108 in the pot and we go to a flop of 10 of diamonds, eight of hearts, six of diamonds. When the small blind checks to us, we decide to continue our story that we have a premium and we bet out for $35 again. Uh, UTG1 calls, the button and the small blind both end up folding. So we have $178 in the pot going to a turn, which is the queen of hearts. Again, this is not a bad hand for my, uh, not a bad card for my range, but it is not a great card for my actual holding. It does bring in four more outs for me for the jacks, but it does bring in the jack nine straight. It does bring in the queen 10 two pairs, pocket queens, pocket tens, pocket eights, pocket sixes are all in, in range here, uh, the way this game was playing. So I bet out for $85 here trying to represent something above a queen. The villain thinks about it for a minute and then raises me to $225, creating a pot of $488 with 140 more for me to call. So just about under four to one. And the fact of the matter is I really can only count my four jacks as outs here when I'm looking at this raise because there are heart draws out there, which then counterfeits my jack of hearts holding but the hearts are a little less likely because i have the ace of hearts so all the asex of hearts draws are accounted for because i have the ace of hearts the king x of hearts is still out there jack x of hearts is still out there so there are some heart draws that could take this line but what's more likely happening here is this villain probably has two pair a set or made straight already and if he has made straight, that then, again, takes away one of my outs in the jack. So I think about it for a little bit. 
And I really cannot put him on enough bluffs that make this call worthwhile. I'm really only drawing to those three heart, uh, non-heart jacks as outs. And with one card to come, I don't like to get in a bunch of money with only 6 or 7%. So what could I have done differently here? Well, I don't mind my pre-flop raise. It's, uh, it was in range with what the game was playing. Uh, like I said, even though it was a 1-3 game, it was a lot deeper, and it was playing pretty loose, as you can see from three flats of a $35 open. Uh, my flop bet, also not the worst. It would have been a better bet if I blocked diamonds, with if I had the ace of diamonds. I think it would have been a little bit better of um, a bet there being able to discount any ace-x of diamond holdings. Um, the, the problem is once the queen hits the turn, eh, I'm just in a pickle here. Again, not being positionally aware about who's in the hand and where I am in relation to them, by firing out $35 on the flop into two players yet to act and a small blind who just checked, it really puts me in a position where I need to have a pretty strong hand to be betting into three players. On this flop, I could have easily just checked and evaluated what happened on the action behind me. And sometimes you just have to realize hands like ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, even if they're suited, if you don't have a four-flush, if you don't have a good straight draw, if you don't have top pair, they really shrink down in value when you have a lot of three, four, five-way action because the odds of someone hitting a hand goes exponentially higher the more players are in the pot. So my mistakes here were as I probably could have down bet here and gotten the same sort of information of knowing, okay, only one player likes this flop and not gotten so invested on the turn. And then my turn bet sizing was pretty bad because what am I, what am I telling this villain here? I'm either telling him I have pocket queens, I have pocket tens, I have pocket aces, or I have pocket kings. That's pretty much the only thing I can really rep um, with any kind of authority here. Maybe ace-queen can get repped this way, but even that, that's just one pair and leading out into a villain who called a big flop, a pre-flop bet, a, a flop bet, and now is raising a turn bet. I really can't put him on anything less than two pair here. And more likely I'm putting him on sets and straights. So by betting so large, I really put myself into a position where I'm not going to get uh, worse to call and I'm not going to get better to fold. So on this turn, I could have easily just checked, let the villain bet, and depending on the bet sizing and what stack he has behind, then I could have reevaluated whether or not either check raising as a bluff or check calling as a float to a jack or hitting a higher pair would be a prudent approach. The more people are in the pot, the more you have to tell yourself Odds are someone has hit a hand and dial back the aggression factor. Aggression is reserved for specific spots where either you have a massive uh, equity where you say flop a straight flush draw 
and you've got all the flush outs, all the straight outs to make the best hand, or you have a strong hand like top set, second set, bottom set, something where you could easily, uh, as easily bet as you could check raise. When it's multi-way, you have to take into account multi-way accountability and realize unless you're last to act multi-way, you have to assume there's a chance one of your opponents has hit something and you're not going to just be able to bully them off of a pot. So the moral of all of these hands this week is make sure your aggression is targeted and in the right spots. Multi-way pots are not the place for a bluffy aggression line. Going to be at least second best, if not third or fourth best, most of the time. So by dialing back your aggression on these spots, you'll... And then what can happen is when you do come through with your uh, hand and make a, a good strong hand by the river you can extract more value then because they're going to put you on weakness if you're check calling or checking through uh, flop and turn streets. I want to thank you again for coming and listening to Poker Punk's podcast, episode 12, Slow Your Roll. In this one, it was not great for me for these hands because I was just blindly being aggressive and it is a learning process, a learning curve, and I am the first to admit that I am still learning. And that's what this podcast is all about, learning spots, learning how to be a better poker player, especially at these low stakes where the fish are not thinking, they're not studying, they're not trying to get better. You can extract maximum value in the right spots. These three examples were not the right spots for me to be trying to extract any value because I wasn't trying to extract value. I was trying to bluff my way to pots and I was doing it at the wrong times with the wrong board textures and I was doing it in multi-way pots. All three things are big red flags and big leaks that you need to plug in your game if you want to be a successful for-profit player. So, again, make sure that you are evaluating your spots properly, targeting your aggression to hands that you have equity or strong hands, and dial back that aggression even with your strongest hands in multi-way pots because even if you have a really strong hand multi-way, your job is not to just win the pot right then and there. Your job is to extract maximum value. So you're going to want to, if you're four ways in a pot, you're going to want to get two of those people to call because if you're well ahead, most likely you're going to stay well ahead and you can extract more value as the hand goes on. Players that all of a sudden make a big hand and go all in, you know, $400 into a $40 pot, they're only setting themselves up to win small pots other way around. We want to lose small pots and win big ones. So by assessing your situation better, keeping in mind your position, the number of players, and the to the goal of winning big pots, losing small pots. Anyway, thanks again for listening. Again, if you like what you're hearing, give us a review 
on either Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. It really helps the podcast and we really appreciate it. Again, also remember, check out pokerpunks.com for everything that's going on in the pokerpunks world. And that is where you can submit any hands for analysis on the podcast. And as I said before, if you're interested in doing that and I use it on the show, I will send you a PokerPunks card protector free of charge. Uh, they are pretty cool. A friend of mine who is a graphic designer designed it for me. And one side says call, the other side says fold for those sticky situations where you're not sure what you want to do and you want to let fate decide. Side note to that, PokerPunks is not responsible for you winning or losing any pots. Please do not flip a coin. Use the skills we're talking about in the podcast. Anyway, as always, have fun at the tables and run it up the punks.